This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Action and Ambition, the show that takes you all over the world to share interviews with the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their backstory, get the most important lessons they've learned on their road to success, and hear exclusive tips on how to implement their success in your own life. Action and Ambition is brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine and your host, Andrew Metal. Welcome to the Action and Ambition Podcast. I'm your host today, Chase Geyser. And today we have a very special guest, Neil Amy. In 2013, Neil Amy was starting his own data scraping enterprise when he found himself frustrated with the low quality of proxies on offer. He figured he could do better. And sure enough, his basement-based one-man proxy operation grew into Rayobyte SEO the largest U.S.-based proxy provider and a 2022 Proxy Away Contender of the Year. Recognized for its ethical approach and its high-quality data center proxies, Neil remains an expert in the field of proxies and scraping and loves sharing his passion for ethical data acquisition and usage in a world where these are too often seen as impossible to reconcile. Neil, it's an honor and pleasure to have you on the Action and Ambition podcast. How are you, sir? Thank you, Chase. I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So data scraping, how did you get interested yeah. in this to begin with? Were you, were you in need of massive email lists? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually one uh, that's one use case you could say. Um, I, the, the, the very short timeline is I was using a lot of proxies and servers, proxy IP addresses. And that's kind of what we, our bread and butter is what we sell that helps you scrape data. I was doing that for SEO services. Our previous brand was Blazing SEO. We just rebranded actually to just Railbyte, just Railbyte. And I was using a lot of proxies and, 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 and uh, servers. And I said, gosh, why don't, from other vendors. And I said, why don't I just start my own? So I started selling proxies then. And then from selling proxies, then the next obvious vertical is to actually do the scraping and here we are seven years later from the official formation of the company. Wow. So what's something that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started the company? Uh, gosh, <laughs> but it, I, it was I, the, the kind of the, the main product line that we have today. Um, it was just an idea uh, just as, as most startups are. And it was my last semester of college and it's kind of my slack off semester. I didn't really have any serious classes. And I was like, you know, let's try this. And I, I hired a hired a freelancer. He built it and I knew some people who would be interested. And from from day one, within the first three months uh, in that, that last semester of college, I, I made a hundred hundred K of revenue, going from nothing, just like a, a college drunk, basically. I'm like, oh my God, what am I gonna do with this? And the next year was something like 1.1 million. And so when I go back to think like what would I tell myself or getting started into like, you can't 
predict the future. There's, there's, there's no trying to control the future. You just go with the flow and do your dang best and hope for the best at the end of the day. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So tell me a little bit about just this sort of proxy space and this scraping space, because I don't know a whole lot about it. I'm a digital marketer, uh, but I'm not really uh, well-versed in, in the actual infrastructure of the internet. Uh, um, yeah. One example is, you know, Tom, Tom Green, the comedian, is famous for being one of the first podcasters. And when he first launched, he had like, you know, servers in his basement. And if he got too many visits, <laughs> it was like impossibly expensive, right? And yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. You know, everybody's on like AWS now, but I don't really understand yeah. how the how the actual overhead works in 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 the server space works for something like this. Yeah, yeah, a great word, infrastructure. Um, so you kind of when you think of like the, the vertical. So again, like the proxies are at like the very infrastructure layer. That it's an IP address. If you go to Google and you type in what is my IP, that's so you get. We rent out those IP addresses, and the the value and the the reason that we rent those out and, co- and companies buy from us is that when you want to get data from a site like Amazon at scale, you want to know. What what are what products are selling? What what are the reviews about products? What are the prices of products? And if you're a company like Johnson and Johnson or Procter and Gamble, for example, who is like a customer of one of our customers who scrapes for them, they want to know what say Procter and Gamble is. What what's the shampoo s- selling for? An Amazon, Target, Walmart, et cetera. Where are, the, are they in stock? What are the customers saying? And so on and so forth. But when you're doing it across this across millions of products, you have your shampoos, you have your razors, you have I mean, you just go on and on and on. And just the factorial of it all. Just there's so much data to collect, and then these companies need to know about this in real time. They need to know ex- exactly if they change the price of something to one one penny cheaper. You know, Amazon shows the cheapest price. That's their model. It's pretty simple. Well, then now Johnson Johnson may be the, the more expensive product. And now they're, they're potentially at a, a voluminous product like shampoo. If they're the more expensive, now they're not selling. And it could be millions of dollars of cost over all the their product, their product portfolio. So they need scraping to in real time, always be loading Amazon's website. They load it, they load it. What's the price? What's the price? What's the price? And they do this maybe every minute, every five minutes, depending on the, the need of, that they have. And that's the scraping. So scraping is a verb. So you go to that page, you load it with your software. The software comes back to and puts the price of that product in their database. Where you go down the tier into like the, the vertical and you get to the infrastructure, which is proxies. And this is where it kind of gets a bit of of the fun of the, of the cat and mouse. So you need, Amazon won't let you hit their, their website a million times a day with one IP address because one IP address usually represents one person in the world. Right. They're saying, hey, what is, what is one person doing, right? Well, <laughs> so you have to have more than one IP address to do all this. And you may be going, whoa, 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 Neil, you know, isn't this, isn't this illegal? Isn't this going against the... But if they don't want you to do it and you're, you're going around and that's what you're selling as a product, it's very funny because these companies are doing it too. And so that they're, I mean, they're, they're sometimes public about it and sometimes not so much, but it comes out in other court cases. There's a lot of uh, legal fighting in our industry. And so it comes out like, hey, Amazon scraping Target, Target scraping Amazon, surprise. So they're not, they can't sue each other because everyone's doing the same thing. They, they're all needing the data from each other. So right. that's, a, that's a TLDR. Does that, does that strike a chord? No, no, that's 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 absolutely fascinating. So I'm curious to ask you as to 
where is the crossroads between data scraping and actual informatics, right? Because it's, it's one thing to have the data that you need, and it's another thing to be able to actually pull the useful interpretation from that data. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so so how how does it work in terms of, I don't know, what's the use case or, or the, the again, the infrastructure um, for the informatics part of this? Yeah, well, so like on, the, on the basic level, we see um, just basic, price analysis to help competitor research. So if you're trying to put a new product on Amazon e-commerce in particular, trying to build a new product, now you have companies who gather and scrape data for all their customers and they bring it into a nice chart that shows the price trends of a particular shampoo model, for example. So now if you're doing price, you're doing better research, that would be a company you would go pay. That's one simple example. Another one, you said you're in digital marketing, Chase. Um, Another big one is... uh, for SEO, search engine optimization, you want to track your keywords. So when you search on Google, for the listeners out there, a quick SEO tidbit, if you're searching on Google for dentist in New York, well, typically as a consumer, you're going to go click on the first website. Usually, about, I think Google says around 30 to 40% of clicks is on that first website. And then the second, so that's what the SEO world is about, is being ranked number one right there. Well, For SEO agencies that know if they're doing a good job helping businesses rank up higher, they need to be tracking the keywords. So that dentist in New York is a keyword and they need to be scraping Google daily to say, where's this keyword rank right now? Where does it rank now? Where does it rank now? Where does it rank now? And so that scraping is a a volume process if you're scraping hundreds of thousands of keywords. Dentist in New York, best dentist in New York, the best those are all keywords and those that's all a scrape a hit at google and you need ip addresses and scraping technology to get that at scale that makes a lot of sense so it's one thing to build a useful tool and it's another thing to actually get people to know about it so how was it that you were able to sort of scale mm-hmm. so i'll answer from a different perspective first our, so our original brand name seven years ago which is like it's a I shy away from even talking about it now. We just rebranded maybe six months ago. It was, was called Blazing SEO. And that's because seven years ago, I was kind of in a lot of SEO communities online. I just kind of like knew people. I was in Skype groups. I was in forums like the Warrior Forum. And I just kind of like knew like kind of the, the area of SEO that I work and knew people. And so when I started the proxy company, I, I knew people. The, the proxies are a bit of a commodity. They, 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 there's not much differentiation you can have with the proxy. And so when I created this proxy brand seven years ago, I just said to these guys in these groups, I'm like, hey, you want my proxies? And they're like, yeah, mine sucks anyways. I'm not loyal to them. Here you go. So that's like kind of where the first got kicked off. But then, I mean, as my name implies, Blazing SEO, I knew a lot of SEO, especially seven years ago. Those were the days when you could spam some backlinks and rank your site overnight. And I knew a lot about SEO, and so all of our all of our traffic came from organic traffic, and it still is our major driver to this day, too. That makes a lot of sense. So, what what are the abuse cases for this tech, if it's possible? So, could I possibly use your tech to click on a competitor's Google AdWords ad for you know a thousand mm-hmm. times? That's yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. Ad fraud is a huge one, so we block. So on our side, we can block traffic to certain endpoints and domains. So Google has very specific ones so that we're able to block certain, our, our users cannot do 
cases like that. Another example is like hacking, for example, you can, if with enough IP addresses, you can spam a bunch of passwords at somebody's account somewhere and try getting in. So that's why we also have a, a blacklist of all major banks, all major credit card sites, paypal.com. So people, criminals, if they do want to use our services for that purposes, they can't because we're just blocking all those domains up front. So yeah, you're exactly right. That's mm-hmm. something we have to keep very on top of because it can be used for nefarious purposes like that. Have you ever caught anybody doing something major, nefarious? Yeah, yeah, because at the end of the day, we have thousands of customers. Right. I mean, if you have you have like your AWSs of the world that you can sign up at AWS and you could go hack with one of theirs, or you could sure post porn or you know do anything bad and and they catch you after the fact a lot of times it's impossible to do it all automatic but you have your kyc's in place and stuff like that so so, some nefarious people do get through and then yeah we do we go through a legal process with uh, fbi we work with not i wouldn't say often but more than i would like but we work with them with uh, and handle the subpoenas and help them catch the bad guys at the end of the day Wow! Wow! Yeah. So, what was it like the first time? And I and I'm not saying this to be critical at all because it's just nature of the business. But what what was it like the first time? What was it like the first time you heard from the FBI? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is public by now, and I think I'm past the statute of limitations, so I can (laughs) I can I can share this. It was 2018, bright sunny day in Charlotte, North Carolina. I just moved there, and I'd lived in Nebraska all my life, and I just moved there for one year to see, you know, let's see what's outside of Nebraska. I moved there with our tech director, Taylor, and uh, at a very convenient time, 7 a.m. We get a knock at the door, and I'm like, dude, we just moved there, so we didn't like know anybody. I'm like, this is our door at 7 a.m. I open the door, and again, no kidding, badges out, guns at the side, and they're like, Neil, we're the FBI. Can we come in? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, like that, like any law-abiding, red-blooded American citizen. I'm like, oh, of course you can. <laughs> and I'm just shaking and shaking. I'm like, oh my God, what what's going on? What's happening? And they come in and to a to a comical degree. They didn't have a warrant either. You know, I, I was just I was just so like terrified. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't need a warrant. I didn't think about that. It wasn't the first thought that came to my head. And to a comical degree, Chase, the one guy played bad cop. One guy played a good cop, just like the movies. It was just—I <laughs> think back at it, that, like one guy was—I'm not kidding—was saying he's saying, Neil, if you don't give me this information right now, you could be thinking and talking years in prison. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that? And then the other guy, I remember it so visually, was just leaned up, like he was sitting on my counter, and like leaned up against the wall. And he's like, Neil, buddy, hey, just don't worry. We just need a little bit of information, and we'll, we'll be out of your hair. <laughs> And, I, and I'm like back and forth, back and forth. These guys went, and I mean, it was just like basic questions, like, "Hey, do you know these IP addresses?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, probably." I don't know how to look, and like, you know, this credit card. I'm like, "Yeah, that's our business credit card that we use to buy these IPs with." And and it, like, it was all questions, like, "Yeah, probably these are our stuff, guys." I don't, I don't know what to tell you. And uh, yeah, after they they finally kind of left without a hitch, then and and then I called my attorneys and like what just happened and and they're like neil first of all whenever law enforcement come at that time of day they know that lawyers aren't in the office that early so they're coming Mm. at that time so they can get free information out of you i'm like oh christ and and this shit's like and our our attorney's like yeah let's just i'll I'll talk to them and we'll follow up and it turned out to be like a a case from new york and the, the agent there he uh 
he called and he, he my attorney's on the call this time. He's like, Hey, yeah, this agent so-and-so, you know, I'm really, really sorry about the, the abrupt uh, visit, Neil. Um, yeah. We just, we, the last record we had of where you're living was in Nebraska. And, and since you had just moved, we didn't know where you were. And so, you know, one suspicion we have is like you were committing this crime and like running away. Right. <laughs> I was like, come on, guys. Like, there's LinkedIn, there's Facebook. You could have messaged me. Surely you can find my phone number somewhere. Yeah. But, why did you call yeah. me? Whitepages.com. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So they, they called the they called the sheriff's department in my small hometown. And like one of my friends works there. He's like, Yeah, I think he moved to Charlotte. So then they called the Charlotte FBI office and, and like somehow they started like digging around and like searching the town for me. <laughs> Yeah, so it's crazy yeah. though that you just moved and they actually found you. I know, right, right. Like, where did that record get placed? Yeah, you know, conspiracy theories there, right? <laughs> well, I mean, they just they just know everything, don't they? <laughs> right, right, right. Except for the fact that you're innocent. <laughs> I know, I know, right. And that was that was the very first time. So, like, now we're in their system and like we help them a lot. Like, we have a good relationship with them. And really well, like like Twitter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so what's it like do they have like a liaison department where if you're a business that operate op, or offers you know a very legitimate service that uh you know could potentially be abused by uh, unintentionally yeah. to you do they have like a liaison department that that integrates yeah, with you? no it's like, no, hey. no it's 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 very inefficient as governments may be they it's mm. like individual agents that it's like their case and then they like look us up like like they look up the ip address and ip addresses are, are public record of like who owns them so that's kind of, one of their first steps is then they would come subpoena us and say hey we need information about who your customer is for this ip address we give that up and then now they go to that person and subpoena that person if if need be or wow. it could be that it could be that person and then they you know go on and so, on so do you do you call carl hanratty every christmas eve <laughs> do you remember catching me if you can that was the name no, of the FBI agent. Oh, no, no, sorry. I didn't see that. Oh, man. Great movie. You should watch it based on a true story okay. about Frank Abagnale. Uh, the, the, um, it was a check fraud case in the 60s. This 19-year-old kid made fake checks that were real. And he made uh -huh. like millions and millions of dollars. He was just a runaway at first. <laughs> I love it. But he always called <laughs> the FBI on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, in the, Frank Abagnale is actually a, a fascinating guy. You can reach him if you email him. He emails you back. Cool. He's famous oh, now. He, cool. works, he works for the FBI in the tech oh, fraud cool. department. But uh -huh. um, cool. so, so what? What is next for your business? What are, What are your goals? Where would you like to see it by twenty twenty five? Twenty twenty five, two years. Um, yeah, we're 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 moving into kind of a a new space. So up to date, we've had um, what's called data center or static IPs, which is like. We, we have an IP and we put it on a server in a data center. And that's good because they're, they're faster. There's more uptime because it's in a server in the, in the data center. And they have their own specific use cases. There's another kind of industry in the proxies, which is called residential proxies. And residential proxies are basically we, well, not all of our competitors do it this way, but we, we do it this way from an ethical standpoint. We, our, our brand is CashRaven, CashRaven.io. And anybody, anybody can go to Cash Raven and, and sign up for our app. And this app allows you, the, the person, the consumer, to basically sell us access to your IP address and therefore your bandwidth. And 
because most people's bandwidth at home these days is, is unlimited. You know, you, you have a hundred megabits per second, but it's, there's no limit to how much bandwidth you can consume. It's kind of free money. So a lot of people will sign up. Or, but the, the idea is in this model, this business model is that now we have hundreds of thousands and our target is millions of devices, of consumers that we have an ethical contract to say, hey, you know, this can be used for proxies. Here's what people do with that. They scrape, they do X, Y, Z. You, are you okay with that? You're going to sell us this bandwidth? And they say, yep, I agree. And I'll take my money. And so a different model than the data center one, because those are static in a, in a facility. And the value of it is another back to kind of the cat and mouse that I was describing earlier about like the Amazon target when Amazon's scraping target or target scraping Amazon. It's very easy to tell if an IP address is from a data center. There's a lot of different flags you can see, et cetera, et cetera. But when you use a residential IP, if it's Chase's IP, if I'm using Chase's IP to scrape Amazon.com, Amazon.com has a difficult choice to make. They can ban that IP address. They're not allowed to scrape their site. They, they, they kind of know it's, 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 it's scraping technology. That's pretty easy to detect these days. But they have a choice. They have to ban the IP address, which would ban the scraper. Yeah, they would ban their competitor target, for example. But it also bans Chase. <laughs> and so now Chase can't use Amazon.com to buy purchases and make Amazon money. So it's just, you know, once again, this kind of funny cat and mouse game of everyone trying to get around each other's stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So where does blockchain technology come in? It, obviously with, with server, traditionally the internet's very centralized, right? There, there, there's servers, mm-hmm. there's you know, a handful of server companies and everything runs from there. Um, different industries are very centralized, particularly finance as well. And, and so is blockchain technology actually going to be able to change the infrastructure of the internet where everything is just sort of decentralized on a blockchain? In terms of like our proxies and our offering? Yeah, I'm just curious to see how it's going to impact server business in general. Mm-hmm. Server, but yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, decentralized computing, yeah, is is a obvious use case from, and and I can apply it to even our industry with, with IP addresses. That and there are companies that are trying to crack it, but there's just too big of movers right now in our industry to like make it mm. success. But the idea is that yes, a, a consumer would install a an app that would be decentralized and you would buy tokens from some form of cryptocurrency that would allow you to buy bandwidth from some consumer on some decentralized marketplace. And now there's, there's no middleman. It's just the value of that token is how much it would get. And so people are trying it in different ways, but for, for it to be successful, you need really hundreds of thousands of devices and, and without that marketplace, without a middleman kind of right now, like we're, we're investing a lot. We're just paying consumers without getting the profits. And so like, there's no way to get the supply and demand balanced without some unique way of approaching. Mm, mm, that makes sense. So where can people find you and follow your story as well as engage with your brand? Uh, Railbyte.com is our, is our main brand and, and me and LinkedIn. That's, that's probably my best place. I'm, I'm not much on social media beyond that. So if I do post something, it would be on LinkedIn, but I would love to hear from anybody that, have any thoughts or want to chat i'm always open to learning from other people definitely well it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the action and ambition podcast and i hope you'll come back and join us again after some time passes and keep us updated as to how things are going perfect cool thank you so much appreciate you absolutely take care man yep thanks for listening to action and ambition with your host andrew metal please leave a review and subscribe and go to andrewmetal.com for all the exclusive lessons behind the scenes footage and video content of the show follow us on facebook and youtube at action and ambition and we'll see you on the next episode